Let us pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity as your people to gather here and freely worship you. For this Lenten season that helps our hearts and minds focus on Jesus. For this Holy Week with its ups and downs, moments of unknown, regular moments, irregular moments, moments of joy and pain, moments that we must embrace to understand your story, to understand our story. As we gather here tonight, speak into our hearts and our minds and our lives that which we need to hear in this moment. May my words be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're gathered here on this Good Friday, we call it, and we've been journeying this Lenten season, if, if you've been with us for part or none or all of those Wednesday nights, we've been looking at Christ's last words or last phrases on the cross. There are seven of them that we find in the Gospels. We will have had the opportunity between our weeks, and we had a snow day, of course, like everyone else, we've had lots of snow days, to look at five of these seven phrases. Tonight we come, of course, to the shortest, to one of, if not the last. It's an important one. We call this Good Friday. I always found that to be an odd name. I still, as I learn to know and grow and understand perhaps what that really means a little more each year, I still find this name to be odd. It doesn't seem quite fitting. Even though we know the end of the story, we know how this story ends, we know the celebration that's coming, we know the victory that's already been won. It still seems odd to me to call this day good. But we also have this tendency to rush to Easter. You will hear me say often, we are and should be an Easter people. But our tendency in life and in the church, because there's enough hard things, is to avoid and to rush through the hard things, certainly the ones that we don't have to battle. And I think sometimes the struggle in our culture is to be so much engrossed with Easter that we forget about Friday. The truth is, Easter isn't a story at all without Friday. And so we come to this Good Friday. We come to these three simple words. It is finished. Short. Simple. Simple to remember. Simple to grab a hold of. Unforgettable. Yet deeply profound. Their meaning. Their meaning in the moment. Their meaning in scripture. Their meaning for us personally. Their meaning for the world. So deep. So rich that I'm not sure our minds could ever really comprehend the full meaning of these words, the deeper, greater meaning of these words. No theory or metaphor can help us kind of contain or understand what happens here in this moment that I just read about in the gospel lesson. We do our best because it's important to understand and that seeking, that searching of God is perhaps our most critical and life-giving task. Yet, 
It's hard to contain. In fact, these words here, these words in the English, these words as we understand them, really only carry half the meaning of what's happening here, if that. It is finished. This here means, when, when this phrase, it is finished, I want to tell you a little bit of what it means. It means to carry something out, to carry something out to completion. Whether that's the will of somebody else, the will of self, the will of God. In this case, it was probably all of the above. Most certainly the will of Jesus. Most certainly the will of the Father. And certainly somebody else, me, our need. It means to take care of an obligation to do a religious act that fulfills a need, that has a purpose. Now, I don't do this often because it's not my skill set. That's why I married an English teacher. But in the Greek, this phrase is what's called the perfect tense. Ironic, right? Theologically speaking, this is the perfect tense because in this moment, perfection comes to fruition for Jesus. But it also means something else. What it means is that in this moment, everything is taken care of. It doesn't have to happen again. But the good news is, the act that's already finished, Jesus' last act, his death, this finishing moment on earth, takes care of everything for the future forward that Jesus doesn't have to die again and again and again. Once for all, this gift continues. That's why it's important that we come to this Good Friday every year. Perhaps we need to come to this more often. We have crosses on our cars and our shirts and around our necks and in our churches, but we don't often think about what that means, what this symbol is really all about. This Good Friday. But what Jesus really is saying here, in the, in the original words that Jesus says, it's simply this. It is accomplished. It is accomplished. Everything that Jesus set out to do here on earth, the will of the Father for Jesus, the, the suffering and the taking care of our sins, the dying for us, the making, making the gift of life, the gift of relationship with the God of the universe, it's all accomplished here. It's accomplished. It's taken care of. All of it. Now, I like to get stuff done. I like to be an efficient guy. I like checking things off my to-do list. I like having a sense of accomplishment. But this is different. Because this is once and for all. This is for everyone. In this moment, Jesus accomplishes the thing that no one else could accomplish. He makes us right with God. He takes the punishment. He opens the door. All this is accomplished. 
things that none of us could do in our lifetime. Jesus does with these three words. For all of us, all of us, past, present, and future. It's interesting here because Jesus is still teaching us even with his last breath. Jesus is still teaching us. Those there in the moment, the soldiers, the onlookers, the disciples, his friends, the religious leaders, the political leaders, and each of us that read and come to the story. Jesus is still teaching us. Jesus has the authority to choose to suffer and die for our sins. And he consciously chooses it. He chooses it for us. And, and the, the thing that blows my little brain is that if it were just little old me on this earth, he would still do it. He would still do it. He chooses to suffer. He does it to give us life. That in his suffering, we are given the gift of life. When he says, it is finished, he reveals God to us. He saves us. He fulfills all of the prophecy of the scriptures. Last night, we read Psalm 22. It tells the story of Holy Week. You heard it as we were stripping the altar if you were here. If not, go back and read it. Even if you were here, go and read it again. It's, it's these words that Christ shares. It's, it's the story of what Jesus does fulfilling the prophecy. But most importantly for me, in this moment, Jesus redeems us. Jesus redeems us. Now that's a funny religious word. I... I try not to get caught up in religious words, but we all sometimes learn the language. And, and so I have to keep folks around me to keep me straight and make sure that I don't get too much into my religious language. So I want to talk about this word redeem for a moment, because it is a funny word. It means literally to make something new, to turn it around, to recreate something. It means to take the good, in the case of Jesus, to take the good and make it greater. Simple things like bread and wine and make them into something great. It means to take the mundane and the simple, the simple acts of everyday life, and make them powerful. It also means to take the suffering, the hard things, the bad moments, and make good out of them. You see, we ask the wrong questions when we face suffering. Our theology of suffering in the world and even in the church is terrible. Our understanding of suffering is really just inadequate. We're always looking to understand why it's happening or who to blame, whether it's God, someone else, the devil, sin, Republicans, Democrats, ourselves, whatever it might be, we're always looking for someone to blame for our suffering. We're looking for a cause, because if we can find a cause, we can fix it, right? We're fixers, especially men. We're fixers. But you see, here's the amazing thing about Jesus in this moment. He embraces suffering, not just so that he can die for our sins, but he can model something for us. Because the reality is, suffering happens. 
It's a reality of life. And whether it's caused by sin or our sinful nature, whether it's just a fact of life, whether it's the devil taking something and making it worse than it is, who knows? It's okay to think about it for a moment, but we must move on. Because the important question to ask in the midst of suffering, the Good Friday question for us is, what's God going to do with this? How is God going to redeem this? How is God going to make this new? And I'll be honest with you. There are moments in my life where I do that really well. I get there quick in little things and in big things. But there are moments in my life where it takes me a really long time to get there. Ironically enough, a lot of times it's in the little things. It's part of our human nature. But that's the thing we've got to train ourselves to think. We've got to look at these situations. Again, good, indifferent, and horrible. And we've got to look to see where God is making something new. Martin Luther King said something about redemption that I thought was really profound. He says this, God has a, day, has a way of bringing good out of evil. You know, like you take a wet washcloth and you squeeze it to get the extra water out. This is what God manages to do with evil. He manages to squeeze it and get the good out. Make something of it. I am thankful that this is the God that we get to choose to follow. The God that we can know. The God that we can be in relationship with. The one who can do that. You see, that's the point of Good Friday. But when Jesus says these words, it is finished, I want you to understand tone, right? Because tone means something, and we don't always see tone when we read. We don't always see tone, whether it's in a book or an email or a text message or on the Internet. And so this tone that Jesus uses is not this, it is finished. It's not a sad moment. It's not uh, an indifferent moment. It's not even a moment of remorse, of pain. It's none of that. The way that Jesus says this, the tone with which Jesus uses here is a tone of victory. It's a tone of victory. And, and think about these words just for a moment. Because we can say these words. We can hear these words. It is finished. I got it done, right? I finished washing the dishes. Or, you know, you got through that difficult conversation. It's finished. Or something sad happens. You, you go through something sad and you're like, it, it's, it's over. It's, it's, it's finished. But no, Jesus here, it, it is, it's beyond a celebration. It's deeper than that. It's a cry of victory. That Jesus does what no one else does. He conquers sin and death. It's a tone of victory. Victory. And it's not just Jesus' victory. It's our victory too. It's for us. It's a victory for us. It's interesting that in the midst of this most horrific, unjust, painful, undeserved 
destructive, demeaning death. In the midst of this, there's good. That Jesus does this, dies out of one thing, love. Love for the Father, love for the world, love for humanity, love for me, love for you, love for each and every one of us. We talk about it as an act of obedience. But you see, Jesus wouldn't be obedient if he didn't love the Father. It is, at the heart, an act of love. It is, in fact, a masterpiece of love and redemption. That's what this is. It's painful. It's awful. It's hard. But it's a masterpiece of love and redemption. The greatest masterpiece of love and redemption. It is the greatest act of love in the history of all of creation. And nothing will ever come close to it. No matter how hard I seek to love anyone, I won't even be able to come close to this. No matter what work, what sacrifice, what success I have, I don't come within light years of this. It's the greatest story ever told. And not only is it the greatest story ever told, the the great irony of the story of Jesus' painful suffering and death is there's something about it, of course, naturally, that moves us to tears. When we think about this innocent man, this one who loves us, the punishment, the suffering, the rejection, the isolation, not just the physical pain, but the emotional pain. His friends abandoned him. His mother watched it. It brings us to tears, yet it begs us to go back to it over and over and over again. I can't get enough of the story. That's one of the great ironies in this moment when Jesus says it is finished. It is the divine drama of God's unrelentless grace. Grace. What's grace? It's a gift. Undeserved. Freely given to us. It's getting what we don't deserve. It's also not getting what we probably deserve. That's amazing to me. All for me. All for you. All for the world. Jesus didn't have to. He chose to. For you. For me. That's the part of the story that I just can't help but going back to over and over again. That God would love me enough, that God would love me enough to allow his son to do this for me. I don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. That's the good news about grace. It doesn't have anything to do with what we deserve or what we earn. In a world where, quite frankly, that's almost all that seems to matter. What you earn, what you deserve, what you achieve. In a world where that seems to be the stuff that counts, 
Jesus tells us something different. And I thank God for that because that stuff doesn't seem to work out well. It doesn't seem to really last. It's pretty fleeting. It is finished. The greatest act of love and sacrifice ever known. All so that we, so that I, so that you, so that everyone else can know the God of the universe, so that we all can be in relationship with God, so that we can be made right with God in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our bad moments, in the midst of our failure, in the midst of our imperfection. This is what Jesus accomplishes. He saves us from our sin. We know that story. The problem is it's so easy to lose sight of the power of the story. That's why we need Good Friday. Not just once a year, but I think more often. Because we've got to remember, we've got to embrace, we've got to accept the power of what Jesus does here. When Jesus says, it is finished, he's not just saying, hey, I'm done. It's over. These are three words that we can grab a hold of, that we can think about what Jesus has accomplished for us. It is finished. It's a story we should never forget. Not just the gruesome parts of it. Not just the painful parts, but what it really means. That we can know the God of the universe. That we are saved. That we can have abundant life that everything can be redeemed, that we are redeemed. We are made new. And so as we gather in this week and we think about what Jesus has done for us and we think about the pain of this moment and we think about the gift that it is, let's hold on to its power. Let's never forget its power. And let's hang on to, let's never forget, let's never let go of the meaning of these three simple words. Jesus' words on the cross to us, these final words, it is finished. Let us pray. God, it's a story we could never write. It's a story we probably would never want to write. And yet you knew it was the exact story that was needed. You were willing. Jesus was willing. Jesus chose the hard path. Rejection, pain, suffering, isolation, humiliation, real suffering a painful death, an act of great love that accomplished so much that our tiny brains cannot begin to comprehend. Our hearts cannot begin to hold its power or its meaning. Yet, God, we come to you now and we ask you to help us understand what this really means. Understand, grab a hold of, celebrate and embrace the power of this moment of what you accomplished in your son on the cross for us and for the world. Thank you, God. Help us 
to know what it really means when Jesus says, it is finished. Amen.